Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers, everyone. How's everyone doing out there tonight? It's good. I'm great. Yeah. It's a Wednesday. Already watched a little golf. We're getting ready for some live UFC action. Oh, yeah. Not bad for a Wednesday during a pandemic. Wednesday UFC. I have no complaints, right? None. And, I mean, it's a little warm in the Hammered Sports Lounge tonight. but It is warm. We uh, are going to start right out with some exciting news regarding the podcast. If you didn't see it on our social media feeds, um, the podcast is now available on Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Google Play. So it's as simple as saying, hey, Google, play the most recent episode of the Hammered Sports Podcast. Okay, playing the latest episode of Hammered Sports Podcast. Episode 28, Intoxicated Sports Talk, on Google Podcasts. And there you have it, folks. Just that easy, just that simple, you can now access the Hammered Sports Podcast in so many more avenues. Uh, We expect it to be, it should be on Alexa, I would think, in the next day or two, where you can say the same thing to Alexa. Um, we're awaiting the approval from iHeartRadio. So all of the platforms that you may use to listen to your podcasts, you know, I, I'm excited to say that, that we're there now, Tom. And uh, I think that's a big step forward for us here with everything. Yeah, absolutely. We want to be available everywhere so everyone has a chance to, to hear what we have to say and, to, more importantly, get winners. La- yeah, and the last holdup is iTunes um, and I'm just having a little issue because I I don't have a Mac, so it, it's just giving me some difficulty uh, on that end of things. But uh, expect to get that ironed out in the next week or two. And uh, then, you know, I think that's probably where we'll settle in for a while until we find a new platform that maybe is up and coming that would that we want to carry our podcast moving forward. So yeah. um, now on to tonight's show, Tom. It's going to be a good one. Uh, first thing, let's talk about over the weekend. Uh, we had the Workday uh, Championship, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, very exciting. Morikawa over Justin Thomas. Three-hole playoff. Yeah. Um, the, the first hole was crazy of the playoff. Justin Thomas lands a 50-something foot putt for birdie. <laughs> Morikawa with ice in his veins answers with, a I think it was 24 feet to, to keep it going. Yeah. That's a a tough putt after you just watch that one get poured in right in front of you. Uh, very good. We gave out multiple top five finishes uh, for our guys that we liked. So Victor Hovland, Chase Seifert, uh, Ricky Fowler in the top. I think he finished 22nd. So all these guys were the ones we were giving out last week. Um, played very well. And that's, uh, that's what we're looking to do, guys, trying to continue to give you uh, players that are finishing well week after week. Uh, this week coming up, you're, you're running it back at the same golf course. Yes. A few new cast of characters. Uh, we'll have Tiger Woods is back. Rory's coming back. So a lot more um, DeChambeau's back. A lot, a lot more talent in this, and it's always a great one. Jack Nicholas has already said that he will shake the hand of the winner 
uh, which has become tradition there as well. So should be a great weekend of golf. Yeah, it should be exciting. And, um, you know, you can't ask for a better finish than we saw down the stretch there no. between Morikawa and Justin Thomas. I unfortunately wasn't able to catch much of it. but Yeah, thanks, know, CBS. Yeah, that's that became kind of a pain point for golf fans. Yeah. And we'll see how that shakes out here if there's – you know, any kind of meaningful changes in the TV contracts or how they do that moving forward. Uh, but it was a little disappointing that they didn't have it. Obviously, sometimes the events have to be moved up for weather. Yeah. But to get why it in. are you not finding a network? There's literally something called the Golf Channel, mm. and they have parts of the rights to every tournament. Yeah. You were able to watch it on the on the, uh, the CBS app. Sports yeah, app. I had it on the app. I was able to watch it, but I didn't even know that it got moved up until halfway, two-thirds of the way through the round. Yeah. Uh, so a little frustration there. Also, the UFC, uh, we crushed our UFC bets five for five on the yeah. big ones Yeah, on the um, guarantees. You know, and I get that it was it was chalk, but not only did we hit that um, main card, but I gave out Prohaska yep. and the under in that fight, which would Both have hit. netted you plus 141 and plus 122. I think the numbers were in that fight. Um, we, I mean, we told you exactly what we saw coming in the main event. Yes. You know, Masvidal had some flashes early, uh, but Usman really controlled the fight for five rounds, and it's basically what we thought would happen. Um, you know, you could play Usman win by decision, uh, probably for like minus 150 or something like that. It's the, there, there were a lot of avenues to, to get at that fight card on, on Saturday night, so we performed very well. Yeah, let's talk about some of those fights. Um, you just hit on it. Usman was, yeah, I wrote down, methodic domination. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of him. He, He's not a lot of flash. There's not a lot of big KO knockouts. But he is going to take people down. He's He loves the clinch. And he did more of the same. 77% uh, of his strikes landed. That's an insane clip. And he outstruck Masvidal 263-88. to 88. Yeah, with five takedowns, insane. That is that is really insane. And you know, props to Masvidal for stepping in and taking yes. that fight Six on short day notice. notice. Just you, you can't ask for going the a, distance. You can't yeah, ask for absolutely. much more out of somebody in that scenario. Uh, it was tough to to step in against somebody who's as good as Usman is. Frankly, the guy's you know he's a decision machine, which is not exciting, right? By the standards of many UFC fans and and casual fans in particular, but. He's you got to appreciate the art of what he does. Yeah. I certainly enjoy it more than guys being held down for for five yeah because he he works when he's on the on the top you yeah. know he he really throws. The one thing that we're talking about is that that style of taking down and then just kind of using that ground and pound method. It eliminates a lot of outliers, right? You're not going to really get caught with a a crazy hook if you're on the got him on their back. So if you're very talented, this is a way to eliminate some of those losses. Yeah, and uh, we're excited for the card tonight. I know that it's we're probably not going to get this up in time for you guys to benefit from from selections tonight, um, but we'll certainly let you guys know what we think here, and um, hopefully we can send some tweets out here as the card is about to start at 6.58 yeah. Eastern, um, and they're preparing for the card. Now we've got it on here in the background in the lounge, yep. and um, hopefully we can we can give a few picks here as we go. I uh, want to talk about some of the other fights from this weekend's big pay-per-view. Uh, Volkanovski versus Holloway ended up being a little controversial with the decision. 
a lot of people thought Holloway won. Um, Volkanovski again winning the decision victory. Uh, what did you have in, in there? Or do you think I had Holloway three two yeah. in the on the card? Um, we were fortunate to get a win there in, in the predictions that we made. Sure. I thought Holloway won the fight. I thought that he was he was impressive throughout. He looks like he had rebounded a bit, and he certainly dealt with any of those leg kick attempts by Volkanovski yeah. in a much better fashion. Absolutely. And uh, he looked like the guy that I remember. So Volkanovski had a strike advantage, 139 to 111. He had a higher percentage of strikes landed, 51 to 40, and he won the takedown battle, 3 to 0. So and, and although your eye test, it seems like Holloway did more damage, and I think it's it's clear. It was a round-by-round round thing to me yep. more than anything else. Yep. I thought Holloway was up 2-0, and I think that's where it was like. And I The thought third that, round was very iffy. Yeah. And I don't know which rounds they scored. You know, sure. that's something that we really aren't privy to. Privy to, but you know, I'm I'm certain that I saw three rounds for Holloway, and I think everybody else did too. Even though Volkanovski yeah. in the stats, the overall stats looks better. Yeah, and I think that's it's one of those things that's can, you know, at the end of the fight, I thought Volkanovski wasn't going to get the decision either. I was excited yeah. when he did, uh, but I didn't think he was going to come away with it. Uh, we would be remiss not to talk about uh, Peter Yan. Taking apart Aldo domination, he was he was he was tremendous. Another one, two hundred fifty-eight strikes to eighty-three. Yeah, just dominated. Got the TKO in the fifth round. He, he's another one who's just going to grind on you, grind on you. He had a couple spots earlier in the fight where it looked like he might end it, and uh, again, Aldo, being the veteran he is, is able to keep it keep it close and stay in it, but just really couldn't get going. Yeah. So there's. You know what else was on that card, main card? Do we have anything else? Yeah, a couple others oh, we I had to mention. Uh, we had Rose against. Yeah, Namunuas versus um, Jessica Andrade. Um, a very, very fun fight. The two of them uh, just going at it for yeah. three rounds. Very competitive. Uh, another close one. Uh, Rose Thug Rose gets the win. Uh, she may not be able to see out of her eye for a few days, but yeah. she's got the W. Uh, another one that was really close. You can kind of see it going either way. Yeah, I like the decision, though. Yeah. I thought uh, they were on the right side on that one. Uh, PVZ, Paige Van Zant maybe fighting her last UFC fight. Uh, Dana White had some harsh words for her after the after the contest, uh, basically saying, test free agency. Yeah, you're going to be better off somewhere else, basically, yeah. is what he was saying. So. And, um, you know, you already talk, talked about Yuri with the knockout. Very yeah. impressive. And then Americani with just yeah. an amazing submission. Uh, he's he's been very quick good. and easy. Yeah, that, yeah, there there was the undercard was way more fun to watch than the main card yeah. in reality. I mean, it was that, the main that, card went exactly how we expected it, which yeah. you know take it or leave it, it. It is what it is. But that those undercard fights were a lot of times you see it too with the up and comers. There's more variables because you're not really sure what to expect. I can't wait to see more of Yuri Prohaska. Yeah, absolutely. That style coming in, it was like he didn't care, almost nonchalant. Yeah, I, I thought he was in trouble at first when he was acting like that, and um, Ozdemir caught him a few times. And I was like, "Yeah, this kid needs to get his head in the game." And then you blink, and all the fight's over. <laughs> yeah, and you know that guy was—he was a—he's a, a danger to people in that weight class. Uh, we'll see if he can put a serious face on against somebody who may even be higher up that right. that totem pole in the two, the 205 division. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. You don't want to not be yourself, but you, you may need to toe the line a little bit more. Yeah. Um, nationwide Challenge this afternoon. They had a nine holes. 
for charity. Uh, the Nationwide Children's Hospital, John Rahm and Tony Finau dominating Ian Poulter and Graham McDowell. If you had an opportunity to watch this, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they, those guys had a blast, uh, a lot of jokes, a lot of, a lot of back and forth. So it was definitely a lot of fun for these guys. Um, but that's over with, so we'll, we'll kind of move on and talk about the memorial. Yeah, um, should be a fun event this week. Yes. You've got this, this is what, like the... Probably the biggest field we've had now because of Tiger Woods' return when it comes to, sure. like, the name brand of the players that are competing. Um, yeah, so, everyone seems to be there, which is nice to have. Yeah, let's take a look. I'm, I'm going to start with uh, – I'm going to try to pull up. Let's see if I can find the odds to win the event. Sure. Okay. While you're doing that, I'll go over some of the featured groups, which, uh, as you can expect with a field like this, are loaded. You have Phil Mickelson, Justin Rose, and Shane Lowry together. DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, and Patrick Cantlay together. Justin Thomas, Shoffley, and Dustin Johnson, which is a great group. And then the featured group of all featured groups will be Rory, Tiger, and Brooks Kepka. That's quite a group. Huh? That is quite a group. Uh, they're teeing off Thursday at 117 and Friday at 817 a.m. Uh, definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch all of that. Yeah, I'm just trying to get this logged in here. Uh, my online app was being a little difficult here. But so I got a, um alert today about a lot of action coming in on Tiger Woods uh, based on his, his odds. I mean, his odds aren't as like you would normally expect from Tiger. Obviously, he hasn't played. These guys have been playing for a little bit now. Yeah, I mean, predictably, Bryson DeChambeau is the favorite for the event. Yeah. As well as he's been playing. Yeah, he just hammers the ball now, and he's playing very good golf. Uh, there are guys. Justin Thomas is plus 1,000. Obviously played very well at this course last week and seems to be playing pretty good golf. Rory McIlroy at plus 1,200. Cantlay at plus 1,200. DJ at plus 1,400. And um, Cantlay is the defending champion of this tournament. Right. Uh, Kepka plus 2,200. Uh, Webb Simpson plus twenty five, as well as Webb Simpson's been playing, plus twenty five hundred seems like a nice yeah. price tag there. Tiger Woods plus two thousand. Um, yeah, Colin Morikawa just won at plus two thousand. Right. So there are some names there in that like that twenty to one range that you can get. Yeah, really solid bets right there. Yeah, I mean twenty to one action on. Probably four of those guys I really like. You What's know? Uh, Xander Shoffley at? Do you have that Xander one? Shoffley's plus 2,500, yeah. 25 to 1. He's been playing well as well. Well as Fowler's well as 30 to 1. He he has a hard time closing. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to put. To win. Yeah, yeah. to win. He's a him. great draft king almost yeah. every week. I should say almost every, because last week not so much. But almost every week. He's very consistent. He'll be, yeah. He'll be around. Tony Finau had a great week, or a great day today. Yes. Yeah. He's 35 to 1. Finau today in the back nine they played for the Skins Challenge on his own ball was seven under through nine holes. It's insane. Uh, he had something like five five birdies and uh, a, an eagle, which is just really great golf. Yeah. And, um, you know, then you get down here ways. Uh, Jordan Spieth is 60 to 1 to win the event. He's not been playing well. Missed the cut last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Kisner, who has been playing well, is seventy-five to one. Now, Jason Day's played played really well this last week. Fifty to one. Fifty to one. See, I mean, he's he's a guy who has all the tools. Obviously, the former no- world number one. Yeah. And uh, played really well at this course last week. It would be interesting to see how he he finishes. Yeah, 
I I like a number of these names here. Tom, give me one name. Uh, this, your your pick and your dark horse. So I think it's so hard uh, with all these guys that are have done are really high on this list. They've all done well at this tournament. DeChambeau won in 2018. Uh, Ricky Fowler f- has finished second twice at it. So you have a lot of those guys. But I, I'm Xander Shoffley is my pick. Yeah, it's a good, good, solid pick. He's been playing uh, great. Of course, kind of fits him. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh, Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, Matsuyama yeah. is uh, twenty-two to so one. Good. He's very consistent too. He likes the, he likes the course here. Um, about five years ago, it was exactly five years ago in in uh, May, I believe. I went down and it might have been seven years ago. Hell, I can't remember now. Anyways, uh, Matsuyama was playing in his practice round, uh, and I was walking around the grounds there at Jack's course at Muirfield Village and watching Matsuyama plot his way around that golf course. Man, I, it was, I was in amazement with the way this guy swung the club. So I'm on Matsuyama this week. He looks comfortable at this course. Uh, my dark horse selection is yeah I can't I can't use him again because I just say his name all the time, um, but I'm gonna go with Mark Leishman this week at plus no. six thousand. Um, I would say my dark horse would be Jason Day. I think he's been playing very well again, mm-hmm. and still at five thousand to one. That's a that's a really solid price to get him at someone with his talent. So uh, I would say Jason Day would be mine. Just keep an eye on someone like Phil. Phil. Uh, a 390-foot drive or 390-yard drive last week. Yeah. So he's he's obviously letting it rip right now. Yeah. Well, it'd be fun to see him play well. Um, Absolutely. He, he got is. off to a great start the first two rounds a couple weeks ago. Let's see if he can kind of hold some of that form together for four rounds. I think that might be the harder thing to do at his age now. Now it's time to talk about Big 12 football. Let's do it. Big 12 football, Big 12 baby. football. We're going to do it the same way we did last time. We'll start with the team that finished last, which last year was Kansas. 3-9 and nine on the season. 1-8 and eight in the Big 12. Les Miles coming into his second year at Kansas. Uh, what would you expect from these guys, Kev? Just a uh, continuation of what you saw last year. They seem, It looked like for a moment when they got that big win over, I think it was at Boston College. Um, it looked like they might be ready to start uh, turning the corner a little bit with the program, um, but I think that we're probably going to see a, a return to the you know one to two Medium. wins. You know, yeah. I, 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 they I, had six games against ranked opponents last year. Yeah, and they did not fare well in them. But you, with a program that's been down, and then the turnover of starting with a new coach and new systems, you would expect them to not be very good. But six games, that's that's tough for any team, let alone a team that's kind of hitting the restart button. So, yeah, you know, you I believe that it's going to take time. This is a program that was really successful for an extended stretch of time. Yeah, and uh, now they've just they've fallen apart so badly, and it's going to be hard to return to prominence, particularly in a in a conference that just nobody no one plays defense there. Is it possible that they could look to go the other way of everyone else and try and build like a power football team that can play a lot of great defense and really focus on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, I think that what else can you do? Sure. Uh, They do have a good running back. Puka Williams Jr. uh, had 1,042 yards. He was playing quarterback for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was playing quarterback. Um, he missed a game last year with a suspension, uh, so it should be interesting to see him back for a full season. Yeah, it's um, I'm not sure what they're going to do um, with this group. Carter Stanley played quarterback um, and had 37 career touchdown passes, and now um, who knows what they're going to really do there. Um, you know, as I look through through my notes here, they've um, promoted a, they promoted a Brent Deerman to offensive coordinator midseason, um, and it's an RPO guy. So they scored 48 points at Texas, 37 against Texas Tech, and 31 at Iowa State. So there there is some promise there potentially. Yeah, I definitely don't expect much from them this season. I think again, this is another one we're still transitioning. You're bringing, you know, Les Miles is going to need time to recruit people to fit his system and the way he kind of wants to run things and, you know, and just honestly up the level of, of talent at that university as well. Yeah. And, and you were right. Puka Williams was playing running, running back, back yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, Texas Tech is next on the docket. Yeah. Let's take a look here. So last year, four and eight overall, two and seven in the uh, Big 12. They are going to be bringing Alan Bowman back, who in his 11 games in his career has 3,600 yards. He was injured for all of last season, so that should be a big um, helper for them. You know, they like to throw it around at Texas Tech, so having a quarterback who can do so is going to help. Yeah, I mean, Matt Wells is the head coach there, and he comes from Utah State where he had a couple of good seasons. But I'm not 100% sure that Matt Wells is going to be the answer there. They've had some high-profile coaches in the past. Kingsbury prior to that you had Mike Leach Um, so I'm not entirely sold on Matt Wells leadership of a big 12 program but it'll be I think that getting Alan Bowman back if he's healthy would be big absolutely Um, so you know hopefully he had uh, 65.6 completion percentage um, in only three games and 1,020 yards in three games so that tells you he passed for 340 yards a game in his three games. So the big thing is, are they going to be better on defense? Because their defense is, is not good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's going to be a trend you hear a lot tonight when we talk about the Big 12. There's just there's a lot of guys that aren't, or there's a lot of defenses that just aren't up to snuff compared to a lot of the other conferences we've gone over they they play a lot of offense they recruit a lot of offense uh, but their defense is always a a little behind yeah i mean wells is focused on trying to improve the defense but you know the athletes are so good in the big 12 on offenses that it can be really difficult to you know to match up and they lose jordan brooks who was a big loss for them on the defensive side of the ball. And they lost their leader in the secondary, Coleman, who had eight interceptions last year, which is a lot for a college season. Yeah. So, you know, look for, uh, I think it's Sardoric Thompson, Sardoric Thompson, I'm not sure how to say his name, but he, uh, eighth player uh, in tech history to lead the team in rushing as a freshman. So you got a young kid that led the team in rushing, coming back, getting Alan Bowman back healthy, you know, let's see what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. And, um, you know, defensively, that's going to be the question mark. Rico Jeffers is back, um, which is good. So, All right, next we have TCU, 5-7 and seven overall, 3-6 and six 
in conference. Gary Patterson back for his 20th season with TCU. Yeah, I'm a Gary Patterson guy. Big fan of what he does. I think that he's had a really nice career in a program that, you know, it doesn't necessarily stand out to anyone, but they're consistently competitive. It's a tough spot uh, recruiting at TCU. You got, you got Texas, you got Texas A&M, Oklahoma's up the street. Yeah, it's it's really hard to compete for those. Uh, Baylor's know, even there yeah. now. Yeah, and they got they got really bit by the injury bug last year, if I remember. They lost a lot of players to injury throughout the course of the season, um, but they've got – a lot of a lot of good talent returning. I see them, you know, if they're playing Big 12 only, I think they can go above 500 with this team. I think 5 and 4, 6 and 3 somewhere in there um, based on their their Big 12 schedule right now. But then you're going to add a couple of others more than likely. That's the the one problem that we have now is like predicting over under win totals and stuff is schedules out the window. Out the window. <laughs> yeah, can't figure any of it out. All you can say is like Hmm, I like this player that's coming back. They sh- they'll probably miss this player. Yeah, it's really hard yeah. to, to make a final analysis on who's going to win what, you know, aside from maybe the top of the conference where you say this team's the best team in the conference. Yeah, I think still in play. conference play, you can you can sort out. Um, you know they're going to play each other anyways. Uh, we will get to this. This is a topic for here in a minute. We're going to talk about how that's going to impact it. Uh, I think, TCU, the couple things I saw that stood out to me is that uh, on defense, this may be one of the teams that ends up having a, one of the better defenses in in uh, the Big 12. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Wallow is back. He had 205 tackles last season. Yeah. That is insane. Uh, both safeties are coming back. They do have to replace you know Jeff Gladney at corner, but you know with both safeties back, their leading tackler coming back, that should be one of the better defenses. Uh, only one starter back in the line. I'm not sure if I mentioned that already, but that that's always a concern. Um, if you can't protect the quarterback, not much happens on offense. Yeah, he, um, it, it, they've lost Lucas Niang, um, yeah. who did not allow a sack as a junior or senior. So that's two seasons without allowing a sack. And in 2018 was graded as the top um, pass protector in the Big 12. Uh, Jeff Gladney, uh, another you know top end, second, first or second round pick. Yeah. I think he snuck into the back end of the first round. Um, Jalen Rager was a first round pick. You know, you're, you're talking about all these guys that are early selections yeah. on a team that went what uh, seven and uh, yeah seven and five or what eight eight what did they go last year five and seven last five year five and seven five and seven team with three guys drafted inside the top forty, which is you know yeah kind of concerning. Where are the areas of, of weakness here? You know, so yep. um, but they returned Max Duggan at quarterback. He was a true freshman that they got a bunch of starts. So. Uh, we'll see if he develops. Yeah, he's a little bit of a dual threat. Had 500 yards rushing, six, ru- six rushing touchdowns. Um, always helpful to be able to use your legs in college football, especially. Yeah, and Ross Blacklock was a TCU player as well. Yeah. I mean, that's another really good player that they. Yeah. He was oh, awesome. Golly, the outlook is looking worse for me the more <laughs> I talk through this with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what their record's going to be. I think they'll be a solid football team this year. Um, I don't expect any any big surprises from you here. West Virginia also five and seven, also three and six in division. Yeah, questions at the quarterback position. What will they end up doing? Any team that you hear questions at the quarterback position where they're trying to sort it out this year, be wary. Without all spring practices, it really puts them in a spot um, that's not desirable. 
uh, having to figure that out with less practices than normal. Yeah, you know, they had Austin Kendall come in from Oklahoma. Everybody thought that he was a surefire uh, starter and, and was a great addition to their yeah. offense, and then he struggled. He didn't do that well. Um, you know, completed only 61% of his passes, um, 12 touchdowns and 10 picks. That's not what we're used to seeing in West Virginia football. No. Um, Neil Brown's a little different type of coach. Um, I think that he, you know, really wants to emphasize being a little more physical team than they've been in the past. And I think that overall it's going to depend on if that offensive line can get better, if, if they can run the ball. Play that, a quarterback, yeah. You know, it, the, the quarterback play will be okay maybe because they won two of their last three after they made the switch to I, – I can't – I don't know how they said his name. Daggy or Doggy or I don't <laughs> know. Jarrett. <laughs> so uh, when they made that switch, they won two out of three. And um, – you know they've got they've got some guys that are returning that um, you know on the defensive side of the ball more than the offensive side yes. of the ball. So I think they'll be better on defense. Question marks remain on offense, particularly that O line and quarterback play. Yeah, their their front seven is supposed to be pretty strong. Uh, they have a lot of linebackers who've played a lot of football games, and they have the Stills brothers, uh, Darius and Dante. Each had seven sacks last year. Um, they're both going to be coming back. So. You'd look to see that defense take a step forward. I know they have a lot of youth in the secondary, uh, but that front seven should be able to help cover up some of that. Yeah. Um, next. Texas. Texas. Eight and five last year in the regular season, five and four in conference play. Uh, they won the Alamo Bowl in a very impressive 38 to 10 uh, beatdown of number 11 Utah. Tom Herman in his fourth season. A lot of returning starters as well. Seven on offense, nine on defense. What do you see with these guys, Kev? I see a team that's going to be dangerous in the Big 12. Um, I, Sam Ellinger is a darn good quarterback, and if they can get it together a little bit on the on the defensive side of the ball, they've they gotten some of these shootouts that they lost last yeah. year, and um, they did. You know, they did lose a couple guys like Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson as targets, yeah. but I feel like they can reload the targets pretty quickly in a place like Texas. Um, they, I, I feel pretty confident that the defense is going to take big steps forward. If the offense can maintain the level of play that they had last year, I think this is a team that's going to be really tough to deal with. Yeah, this is a team with the nine returning starters on defense. They are bringing back all of their defensive line. They're bringing back the top three corners and both safeties and both safeties are on our list for looking for the draft for the next year they're both yeah. they're both rated very highly so this defense should be good and again in a conference where defense isn't played that often you know having a very strong defense with a quarterback like Sam Ellinger should put them in the mix at the end of the season um, they are moving to a 4-3 defense but again I don't think that'll have a huge impact I think that with their group of talent on on that front seven that should be something that, that goes fairly smoothly and again ending on that high note beating texas tech beating utah you know this is a team that may be crescendoing towards uh, you know something big this year and now that lsu game is going to be off the schedule early in the season yeah which is that could help you have to believe i mean i think lsu is going to be come back to earth a little bit and yeah, it might have, have it might have just been a, a confidence boost for them if they could have won that game but you know that's one last road trip. You don't have to go to Death Valley at night yeah. in September and try and win a game. So I, I think that you know Samuel Cosme is a name that people should be familiar with. Top ten draft pick possible. A absolutely, here. he's a, a great leader on the offensive side of the ball, playing left tackle. 
Um, he's so, a big stud yes, over there sir. at left tackle. So that guy, that's a name to keep your keep your eye on throughout the course of the season. Yep. You will hear it a lot come draft season yes. next year. Next April, he will be called very early. Yeah. Next is Iowa State, uh, seven and six, but five and four in the conference. Matt Campbell is back for his fifth season. They lost the Camping World Bowl to Notre Dame. You're welcome. <laughs> and Brock Purdy is back. Yeah, and this is a really solid football team right now and Matt yes. Campbell is a really solid football coach and I think that this program is on the way up and I think that one more good season of Matt Campbell is going to be coaching in a larger program somewhere yeah so they have a lot of weapons back on offense they got a bunch of running back last year they didn't have a like one guy running the ball they had a bunch of guys and they're all back they're tight ends man they're tight ends Charlie Kolar Chase Allen and Dylan Soner um all, all back. All three of them are returning, and they're all good. A name to watch out for as we were looking at this, uh, they're getting a Juco transfer from wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson, 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, we were, I was watching some of him on YouTube. Looks like he can play, so it'll be interesting to see if he fits in. Uh, this offense needs some weapons, so uh, it should be good. Yeah, and, um, you know, they're returning uh, linebackers. They have... Uh, secondary is a bit of a question mark yeah. uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But I think that this is a team that, you know, they were beaten by more than 14 points just once in its last 39 games. And That's that crazy. was in a bowl game last year to Notre Dame. That's, you know, uh, that's in a conference that scores like crazy. True. So if you to only lose by two touchdowns one time in that conference – over the last 39 games. I mean, this is a team that was close last year. If, if you look at some of their losses, they lost at Baylor by two. Baylor yeah. will get to much later in this. They lost at Oklahoma by one. I mean, you put those two games on the other side alone. Uh, you're talking about two a team. and four in one score games. Yeah. You know, and, and come for, back to the median. Yeah, for a good team, you know, you expect them to go. They lost to Iowa by one. Yeah. I mean, lot of a lot of their losses were very close against very those are good teams those all those teams we just mentioned were very good last season yeah I think this is a, a team that's going to be really fun to watch this year it's a team that I'm going to try to bet on a lot early on because I think that they might be a little undervalued, undervalued early in the Jaquan season. Bailey returning this year 18 and a half career sacks at the college level that's a lot of sacks and the names of the players that they lost are, are you know guys that you didn't know uh, Josh Nipfel, uh, an offensive lineman, Ray Lima, defensive lineman, and Marcel Spears, a linebacker. You know, to lose names that you're not familiar with tells me that they've got guys ready to step into those spots. And a lot of times those are improvements moving forward when guys graduate and move on and uh, you make room for the young, more talented guys, especially with Matt Campbell getting his recruits in there now. Next, Kansas State, 8-5, and 5-4 five, five and four in conference play. They lost the Liberty Bowl to Navy, twenty to seventeen. Chris Kleiman, man, comes down from North Dakota State and instills some toughness here in this K State team. Following Bill Snyder, yeah, they overachieved last year, no doubt Eight about it. Is an overachievement. Uh, unfortunately, I see a little bit of regression in their second year for Chris. I, and then you know, only two starters back on offense. All five offensive linemen are gone. Uh, they are getting seven back on defense, but again, only two starters back on offense. That's a Skyler Thompson. One replace. of them, though. Yes, um, he's a senior quarterback. He had a really nice year. Um, they, 
there's going to be some turnover from the Snyder era to Chris Kleiman's guys. This is probably the, the time where you expect them to float around 500. I think yeah. just on toughness and coaching and players buying into the system and uh, this, the senior leadership of Skylar Thompson, and I think this team can hang around 500, but I think that's probably the best you're going to yep. see. Yeah, it's just one of those years. Last year kind of had a perfect storm where they, they – had the new coach, everyone was fired up, and they had a lot of veteran guys there who were excited to win and do something different. And they did; they were able to do that and definitely um, overachieve probably what everyone thought they were going to. I think this year's where you're going to see a little bit of that slide as, as Chris Kleiman's people come in, start taking over, and, and really kind of take their lumps as, the, as a young team. Yeah. What are we going to next? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. If you like offense, these are your guys. Yeah, things have been uh... – it's been a, a little bit messy there um, with the Chuba Hubbard, Mike Gundy, yeah. you know, stuff that was going on. But it seems like they're going to stick it out. And um, these guys have got a ton of talent. Yeah, so Oak State, 8-5 and five last year, 5-4 and four in conference. Lost the Texas Bowl to Texas A&M. How is that even fair? 24-21. Um, to 21. And now you, you're returning Chuba Hubbard. You got Tylen Wallace. Um I mean, just listen to this number. On a team that won eight games last year, they're bringing back eight offensive starters and all 11 defensive starters. They're actually bringing back 21 of the 22 from their two-deep roster last year on defense. That's nuts. 19 returning starters from an eight-win squad um, that's loaded on the offensive side of the ball. They can score at will. They are teed up for their best season in years. Chubba Hubbard led college backs in rushing, 2,094 yards, 21 touchdowns. Tylen Wallace had 903 yards and eight touchdowns and got hurt. He only played eight games. Yeah. That's crazy. This is this is going to be a really fun football and team And I wanted to, to go over this, too. This is one thing I wrote down. Their five losses last year at Texas, at Texas Tech, versus Baylor, versus Oklahoma. Those are their regular season losses. Obviously, they lost the bowl game, yeah. which is another away game almost. Uh, but all those were against good teams. Yeah, and Mike Gundy's a good, solid football coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's a man. He's 40. He is 40. Yeah. <laughs> Probably much older than that now. I'm 16th season. I'm going to say, on the record, Oklahoma State loses no more than two football games this season. Nice. Next we have the Bears of Baylor. A very good season last year. 11-3 and overall, 8-1 and in conference. They lost the Big 12 championship game in overtime to Oklahoma, and then they lost the Sugar Bowl 26-14 uh, to 14 against Georgia. Yeah. Uh, but a very good season. Matt Rule has moved on. Dave Aranda takes Dave over. Dave Aranda takes over. Defensive, Defensive coordinator yeah. from LSU. Yeah, Me too. And uh, so where do, we, where do we start with them? A lot of new inform, or a lot of new players on the new defense. Yeah, and it feels like a team that could take a step back. It could be a sizable step back. Yeah. I think it's going to be considerable in season one for yeah. Aranda. I'm not overly impressed by Charlie Brewer. He's solid. He's, he's, he's solid. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't stand yeah. out. He's not a guy that's going to put the team on his back and win a bunch of games for them. Um, and and with all the other changes that are going on there, I think that I think that we're going to see a considerable fallback. Yeah, only bringing back two starters on defense, new defensive coordinator. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot different there. Give it a couple years, though. Yeah, Dave Aranda's a smart guy. He's 43 years old, uh, getting his first crack as a head coach. So, um, yeah, give me uh, this team to take a considerable step back this season, and then two years from now 
you'll see them start to come back up again and, and potentially be contenders in the conference. Aranda has a winning pedigree, obviously being part of that national championship team at LSU. Um, so we'll see kind of where things go from here. And? And we got our first winner of the night, Jake Shore by Rear Naked Choke. Jack, on the, Jack Shore, Jack yeah. Jack Shore, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. It is nice. I used He was the most expensive player in DraftKings tonight. Yes, and I used him as well, and it's nice to get a, a W from someone like that. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna put him on your on yeah. your ticket, he better do do well for you. Absolutely. And now the last team in our Big Twelve before we get to our sleeper and winner prediction, Oklahoma, twelve and two last year, eight and one in the conference play. They won the previously mentioned Big Twelve championship game in overtime versus Baylor, and then lost to eventual champion. LSU in the Peach Bowl college football semifinal, 28-63, to where they just kind of went off. LSU just could not be stopped that night. Yeah. A lot of uh, big players have to be replaced on this team. Yeah. Lincoln they, Riley uh, is coming back. So what do you see out of these guys for 2020? Yeah, obviously the, they've done a great job with the quarterback situation. You know, Jalen Hurts stepped in admirably following Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield's uh, Heisman Trophy winning performances. Now it looks like Spencer Rattler is more more than likely going to take over as the starter there. Yeah. Uh, Five-star recruit from Arizona. Uh, really talented kid. Um, tends to do boneheaded things like kids do. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets himself in trouble at some point. But Tanner Mordecai is also in competition for that that position. Um, you know, they lost a number of players. Um, C.D. Lamb obviously is gone. Um they're going to need some other guys to step up as playmakers because Jalen Hurts was a big part of that offense running the ball last year. Yeah, between Hurts and Lamb, they lost a lot of the offense. Yeah, so we're going to have to have guys that step in and you know are, are really difference makers and explosive on the offensive side of the ball. Um, my favorite player on Oklahoma is Creed Humphrey, um, four-year starter, center. Um, I think he's a, you know he's just a hard-nosed kid. Um, he'll be the first center taken in the draft next year, I believe. So um, that's somebody to watch if you like watching offensive line play on tape. So they are bringing back a lot of starters on defense, uh, but at this time it may not be good. Uh, they were 128th overall in red zone defense. Uh, anyone got down there was scoring. And, again, this is the team that allowed 693 yards and 63 points. Obviously LSU was the top offense last year. Uh, but, you know, not a lot of resistance. You are losing um, some good players, Kenneth Murray's gone, so you do have to replace him as well. You know, it's a it's a year where I think maybe they're still going to be good. It's still Oklahoma. Let's yeah. not kid ourselves. But it may not be the Oklahoma we've seen the last few years where, you know, Spencer Rattler, if he does get the uh, job, he has 11 career attempts yeah. in college football. You know, it's get, there's going to be some lumps there. Um, so we'll see what they – what they do with the season i think maybe just big 12 play will be helpful uh for them but you know maybe a slight step back which you know what's a slight step back you know 10 and 3 <laughs> yeah yeah you know a couple of losses instead of right you know going one loss or or no losses through the regular yeah. season um prediction time prediction time for the big 12 so i'll go first with my winner i actually have oklahoma state i think this is the you know when we talked about the teams that were above them last year, you're talking about Oklahoma, who I think is going to have their ups and downs. And we're talking about Baylor, who I think is going to take a substantial step back this season. And that leaves that open for one of these up-and-comers. And Oklahoma returning all those players, a team that was 
couple other couple bounces and a couple of those games go their way. We're talking about a team that wins 10, 11 games instead of the eight that they actually won. So I have Oklahoma State with that crazy offense. Yeah, and um, I'm going to go with a team that's off the board too a little bit here. Um, I'm going with Iowa State to win the Big 12 this year. I think that um, they return a lot of the players last year that made a difference on that team. They lost close games throughout the course of the season. I love Matt Campbell as a, as a football coach, and I think that he will play it close. He'll play teams like Oklahoma State with all those explosive players better than anyone else in that conference. Um, I think that, to me, Brock Purdy's leadership is going to be strong. I think he's a really good football player. He's tough. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. Uh, I wanted to pick Texas, but I just couldn't get myself to do it. <laughs> um, so I I'm going to take a stab with Iowa State. Yeah, uh, Texas is my sleeper. I, I think that they're a team that, you know, if everything goes scripted, as I'm using finger quotes here, if everything yeah. goes as, as scripted, they're a team that should be competing for this conference. I just always feel like they're, they're just close and never there. So I took Oklahoma State, but I have Texas as my sleeper to come out of there. Yeah, and, you know, I, I would absolutely say Texas as well, but I think that they're probably viewed as a top team, but I, I'll, I'll say Texas. Yeah. Um, I also think I love Chris Kleiman and what he's done in, at Kansas State last year. Yeah. I, I'm really interested to see what he does with the turnover here. Yeah, so. it's, it's a tough year for them. Yeah. So, yeah, Iowa State um, and Oklahoma State are our selections for the Big 12 championship this year. So um, we're going to take a quick break. And um, when we come back, Tom? We're going to play Name This Player. And then we're going to go over our top 10 fantasy tight ends and then preview two UFC fights. All right. We'll be right back with you. Cards, I should say. Bye. We are back. And we are about to play Name That Player. Yes, Kevin is on the hot seat tonight. I told him before, I'm not sure if he's going to get all three of these right or none of the three of them. It's really that up in the air. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a good category, I think. So this is going to be NFL sack leaders. All right. Season sack leaders um, since 2000. First one, five-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, AFC I probably shouldn't have said that part, but Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, they won. They obviously were the NFL sack leader. Their stats, 527 career tackles, 123 career sacks, 52 forced fumbles, which is insane amount, 17 fumble recoveries, one interception, and three defensive touchdowns. Javon Curse. No. Are they active? No. You know when you feel really confident about one, <laughs> and you're like, and you get just derailed, yeah, derailed right away. I'm like, oh man, thought I thought I had it nailed with the freak. 123 career sacks. He's a top 10 career sack player. Pretty good player. Yeah. Um, let's see. And he's 17th of most sacks in NFL history right now. Jason Taylor. No. Hmm. 
Not active. All right. Did they ever play it in Super Bowl? Yes. Did they ever win a Super Bowl? Yes. All right. That's going to limit it a little bit. AFC player who played in Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. AFC Defensive Player of the Year. So, let's see. Dwight Freeney. No. wonder if his numbers are even close to that, but felt like he kind of fit that mold. Terrell Suggs is still active. It's not Terrell Suggs, right? No. Rushers. I gotta run through a quick list here in my head. Okay. James Harrison. Nope. Shit. Junior Seau? No. He didn't have that many sacks. But am I... Joey Porter. Nope. All right, I concede. Robert Mathis. Robert Mathis, huh? Yeah. Thought when you were on Freeney you were going to get there. Uh, Super Bowl champion with the Colts. I did not think that he had won AFC Defensive Player of the Year. His numbers are insane. Like, I would have not... 52 force fumbles from him? Yeah. Uh, you did mention Dwight Freeney, so let's take a look and see what his are. Freeney and him had to be close. <laughs> yeah, 125 and a half sacks for Freeney. <laughs> 47 force fumbles, so really close. <coughs> Crazy. Damn. All right. Onward. All right. One-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, two-time Consensus All-American, uh, College def uh, Conference Defensive Player of the Year, 
career NFL stats, 156 career tackles, 37 and a half sacks, 11 forced fumbles, 12 pass deflections, one interception, one defensive touchdown. Who am I? Flash in the pen. Is he active? He is active. Oh, well, then that makes a difference. Could be somebody recent that's not necessarily a flash in the pan, but a new pass rusher out there. 30-something sacks. Do I currently play in the AFC? Yes. All right. One-time Pro Bowl, one-time All-Pro. Two-time defensive All-American in college. Have I played in a Super Bowl? No. Actually, hold on. Let me fact check that. He did play in a Super Bowl. Okay. Alden Smith. No. Am I a linebacker? So that's a tough part. They they are listed on here as a outside linebacker. Okay. A little bit of that hybrid. Yeah. That leads me to believe it's someone who, you know, is like a pure edge rusher. And I, did, I didn't want to get caught up on defensive tackles. Correct. This was the defensive le- leader in sacks. I know. I, I got to do better than this. Come on, Kev. <laughs> That's why I said the list is... Uh, led the league in sacks. They're all guys you definitely know. Yeah. Led the NFL in sacks. Did I play in the SEC? No. ACC? Yes. ACC Defensive Player of the Year. All right. Give you a hint. It's not Shaq Lawson. Yeah. Defensive Player of the Year. Led the NFL in sacks. Woof. (laughs) Played in the Super Bowl, did not win. Was I drafted... 
after 2015. Um, uh, no, drafted in 2015. I might be getting out of questions. I might maybe have one more left or something. Sure. <laughs> if you think one will help. I don't know if it will. I'm going to concede again. Vic Beasley. Vic Beasley, huh? Led the NFL in sacks in 2016. Yeah. It's crazy. He's a good football player then. Yeah. He had, he had that monster season for Atlanta. Yep. Where they I don't even on. know where he's playing now. He just signed with the Titans. Did he? Yes. So we got one more. Let's do this. All right, Kev. Nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, uh, two-time Buckus Award winner, made the NFL All-Decade team, uh, two-time All-Conference in football, one-time Conference Defensive Player of the Year, for career NFL stats, 654 tackles, 138 and a half sacks, 35 forced fumbles, and three interceptions. It's a pretty nice resume. So an all-decade player in the 2000s. Yes. Am I still an active player? No. running through the did I play in the NFC so they played most of their career in the NFC but also played in the AFC okay. as well did I play defensive tackle no Come on, three interceptions at D-tackle. Deflected balls. Tip balls, baby. <laughs> Most of the career in NFC. Led the league in sacks at some point. Great pass rushers. Yeah, 138 and a half sacks is pretty high on the all-time list. Yeah, it is. Not active any longer. Um, 
Did I play in the SEC? No. All right. And we'll talk about that in a minute because I got some questions about that. All right. But no, did not. Hugh Douglas. No. I don't think he had 138 career sacks. No, I don't think so either. Um, Michael Strahan. Nope. Don't think the college will help you. They were, I'll give you this, they were the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year. Okay. Small school player. Yeah. Probably drafted in the 90s anyways. I don't know much about Sun Belt football in the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was early 2000s. Um... So you normally ask this, I'll give it to you before you get a chance. Uh, they did play in and win a Super Bowl. Played in and won a Super Bowl, huh? Did they play for the Bears? No. Most of their time, again, with an NFC team, then played the last few years with an AFC team. Okay. Also, he is... One of seven players to actually lead the league in sacks uh, two seasons. It's only happened seven. Only seven players have done that. That's kind of wow. All over the place. And ten sacks in seven straight seasons, with only two players in NFL history having done that with him, uh, being Reggie White and John Randall. So that's pretty elite company. I would say so. change my mindset here for a second yeah I gotta get there's all sorts of crazy stuff second fastest player ever to reach 100 sacks Reggie White only being the uh, one to do it faster I'm gonna give up Tom I, I'm gonna go over tonight it is DeMarcus Ware. Wow. Great numbers for him. Mm-hmm. Listen to this, this list of players from 2000 on. You got Leroy Glover, then Michael Strahan, Jason Taylor, Michael Strahan, Dwight Freeney, Derek Burgess, oh. Sean Merriman, Jared Allen, DeMarcus Ware, Elvis Doomerville, DeMarcus Ware again, Jared Allen again, J.J. Watt, Robert Mathis, Justin Houston, J.J. Watt, 
Vic Beasley, Chandler Jones, Aaron Donald, and then Shaquille Barrett. So real yeah, mix a of real a, a lot of legends there. on there and then some randoms. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yep. Well, I thought you were going to get Robert Mathis, man. Yeah, I know. Eh, what are you going to do, right? Uh, Especially when you had Dwayne I got, Freeney. i got to pull myself together here. Those, it's not, not easy on the hot seat, guys. Pick myself up from my bootstraps here and... <laughs> I made some guesses that I felt good about. <laughs> you were on it when you had Mathis. When you said Freeney, you were that like close, right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just the other end. Yep. Uh, let's see. Top 10 fantasy tight ends. I'm excited to start talking about fantasy football. I think as we get closer and closer, it seems that football is happening, which means fantasy football is happening, which is always a fun thing. I know Kevin and I are in a few leagues together and uh, just really seem to enjoy it. So we're going to start with our top 10 fantasy tight ends. It's a very interesting group every season. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and start with number, my number 10. I have Hunter Henry at 10. Uh, I think that he's got a lot of talent. He has some question marks at the quarterback position. We don't know if it's going to be Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert. It's kind of tough to really put him up higher than 10. Can he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? He missed four games last year. Still had 652 yards. Uh, so Hunter Henry's my number 10. Uh, I'll go 10 and 9 here. Yep. We'll do that alternating now. Um, at 10 for me, I have Chris Herndon uh, with the Jets. I think he's a player loaded with talent, and I think that if that offensive line solidifies at all, um, I expect him to be one of the premier options on that team this season. Yeah, his biggest en enemy is Crowder. Yeah. Takes a lot of those like middle yeah. targets away. Yeah. But I think that Herndon has the opportunity to uh, really blossom this year. And the bottom of my list is filled with guys that I think are going to blossom. Yeah. Um, as opposed to guys who I think are, you know, s steady, solid entities. Um, some of the names that just missed my list, I'll give you really quick. Um, Austin Hooper is one. Um, had a great run with uh, Atlanta. I don't see him as a, as a great option. Um, David Njoku, again, another, another Cleveland guy. Um, you know, he missed my list. So there, there's a couple guys that were right there that just didn't quite get there. Rob Gronkowski uh, missed my list um, because I don't know if he's going to stay healthy enough um, and what he's going to look like after a year away. So um, next for me on the list is another guy that I think is young and filled with talent, and that's Noah Fant. Um, Fant is the tight end in Denver, has an opportunity to um, really have a, a breakout season this year. I think Drew Locke will finally get the reps that he needs um, you know, when he took over, it seemed like things were starting to click a little bit. And I think Noah Fant's going to be a big piece of that offense moving forward. Yeah, I really like Noah Fant. He just missed my list. I actually have written down here, honorable mentions, Noah Fant with an upwards arrow because I think this is a year you'll see some, some more productivity out of him. I think the Broncos, if they're in another division, we'd be talking a lot more about them. Yeah. They're, I mean, if, if you just expect, even if Locke just does what he did at the end of the season over full 16 games, not even getting better, that team is going to be good. Uh, but number nine, I have Tyler Higby. Uh, so weeks 12 through 17, he was the tight end one in, in fantasy football last year. Uh, he was getting 10.3 targets for those weeks. Um, I have him at nine because we're not sure how that's going to continue. Do, do the Rams stay committed to two tight ends and getting the ball to the tight end? Or do they go back to kind of what they were? He finished with 700 yards last year. Uh, so... I have Tyler Higby at 9, and at 8, I have Jared Cook. Uh, Jared Cook in New Orleans, going to get a lot of balls from Drew Brees, never a bad thing. Um, his pace with Brees on the field was over a 1,000-yard pace. Uh, he finishes with 705 yards, 9 touchdowns, 
Obviously, we'd expect those touchdowns to go down yeah. some. But if he can keep that pace up with Breeze, he's going to be, you know, 800, 900 yards. Yeah. Um, Higby's the guy who just missed my list. Yeah. Uh, Tom and I were talking about it before the show a little bit, and we just brought up a few names. Gronkowski and Higby were the two names that we talked about. Um, and Higby was a tough one for me to leave off the list after Tom was telling me about how much success he had towards the end of last season. Um, eight for me is Darren Waller. Um, talented player in Oakland. He was used a lot. He's kind of like an explosive stretch the field type guy. Um, I think that he's got a ton of upside still after a great breakout season last year. And I think he's somebody that's going to be worth looking to. Um, you know, if he doesn't go in the top five tight ends, you're, you're going you're gonna to be in a great place if you have to select him a little later on in your draft. Um, seven for me is another young guy yet again, um, TJ Hawkinson. Um, everybody knows how great he was in college, and it didn't translate this year. He had some drops last season with Detroit. Um, I'm excited to see what Hawkinson can do with a full season with a good quarterback who's healthy, returning from injury presumably, and that running game that they're going to get going. So I think that's going to open some opportunities for Hawkinson to slip behind the linebackers and make some nice stretch plays and be a big piece of their offense this year. All right. I have my turn at seven, right? Yeah. I have Evan Ingram. So Evan Ingram is very frustrating because when he's on the field, he's awesome. He just can't stand on the field. Nineteen, He's missed 19 games in three seasons, which is not good, but he averages uh, almost seven targets a game at 6.8 a game. He keeps getting that target share. He's going to be good. Yeah. And there's no other wide receivers that really scare you from him, his targets dropping. So I love Evan Ingram and his upside, but he's back at seven because of his injuries. I mean, if he didn't have that injury question, he's going way higher on the list. Right. Um, I have six. I have Mike Gusecki. Uh, again, number seven tight end from week nine on last year. Uh, there's a clear break in his. If you look at his first uh what I had, first seven games to his last second half, he went from three targets a game to seven targets a game. It's almost like they remembered they drafted a tight end who could play. 570 yards, five touchdowns last year. I imagine something similar, if not better, this next year with more consistent targets. Again, three to seven. Yeah, and Chan Gailey coming in, running that power out I, RPO system, presumably, um, more than likely with Tua playing quarterback in it. Um, it, it's really kind of a question mark there. Either way, yeah. I think Kosicki continues to um, be put in a situation to succeed. Yeah, so. we talked about it before. I mean, Chan Gailey and Ryan Fitzpatrick made Scott Chandler a, a passable fantasy tight end, so Kosicki yeah. has way more talent and explosiveness. I, I don't imagine anything more, or you know, I can't imagine him taking a step back. I think this is the right. year he kind of cements himself. Yeah. And um, I also had Mike Kosicki at number six. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, I think Kosicki has a ton of talent to um, make those leaping catches in the red zone. He's a super athletic guy. Um, plenty of speed. Uh, not an inline tight end option, but he, he will be uh, a big piece. Probably the number two or number three weapon on that Dolphins offense. So I expect to see him catch a number of passes this year. I think the num the volume will go up. Yeah. I don't know if the explosivity will continue. A lot of, you know, the targets in Miami is interesting because there are two running backs. Neither of them are known as very good pass catching. Jordan right. Howard's known as a poor pass catching back, and Breed are really not much there yeah. as far as history. So a lot of those may translate to more Gasecki yeah. like dump offs. Yeah. And uh, five, I have Hayden Hurst. 
Um, Hayden Hurst is moved on from Baltimore to Atlanta. He is loaded with talent, and he's going to step into a system that made Austin Hooper one of the top receiving tight ends in the NFL. And I think Hayden Hurst has a ton more talent than Austin Hooper does naturally. I don't know if he's as refined as Austin Hooper is as a tight end, but I expect Hayden Hurst to have a breakout season this year, and he is in my top five of fantasy tight ends. Yeah, Hurst missed mine. I I like his opportunity. I just, you know, there's a reason he he was removed from Baltimore who throws the tight end more than anyone. Um, you know, Mark Andrews being the biggest part of that. That is the reason, yeah. <laughs> uh, number five, I have Darren Waller, or should I say Baller, 90 catches, 1,100 yards last year. He was second um, in tight ends and yards last season. Only three touchdowns. I mean, that's something that should move up. Even if you, you take a step back in yards, those three touchdowns, the big question for him is they did draft three new wide receivers, some new toys to play with. But even if his targets and receptions drop and yards, you would think the, tight, the added touchdowns, just getting back they to average, yeah, yeah. it should average out, and he should still have a, another good season. And me again, I have Mark Andrews at number four. Uh, had a huge season, 852 yards, 10 touchdowns, which is crazy. Uh, and Hurst is gone. Hurst had 40 targets last year, so those targets got to be broken up. Um, so six and a half targets a game for her, for Mark Andrews and a team that loves to throw to the tight end and, and creates ways to get them open. And I have Mark Andrews at four. I oh, think man, that Mar- I think we have the top same top four now. It could be. I'm not sure. There, I think this guy that I have at three you could have higher I'm not sure Um, Andrews is a talented dude he catches everything in traffic he can stretch the field a bit and he also fights for the ball yeah Um, I think that he's a a solid yeah everything that he does is really good yeah expect the touchdowns to come down but again those yards there's room for there be more yards there yeah and at three I have Zach Ertz Zach Ertz is a uh, tremendous receiving tight end he may lack a little bit in the blocking aspect of their game and the only thing that holds him back from being a top two tight end is Dallas Goddard and his talent and uh, the fact that he takes away some of the reps and the the targets more so than anything else Goddard expect him to have another great season as well so they've got two tight ends that are very effective there and I think that you know they don't really need to throw to Zach Ertz every time and the, the quarterback's not afraid to Wentz is not afraid to transition from Ertz to Goddard if he has to. So, yeah. um, you know, that's where I had Zach Ertz land at three. Yeah, I have Ertz at three as well. Um, he had 135 targets last year, which was second uh, to Kelsey by one, and Ertz didn't play in the last game of the season. He actually led all tight ends with targets per game. 916 yards, six touchdowns last year. He has been a top-five tight end or top 10 tight end five years in a row. So you're getting that consistency. 135 targets is a ton for a tight end. So you got to love that. Number two, I have George Kittle, back-to-back 1,000 seasons, uh, 1,053 yards in only 14 games. He's a workload guy in San Francisco. They also have tight ends on the field at all times, and he really is explosive at tight end. Yeah, and for me, I have uh, Travis Kelsey at two um, with George Kittle coming in at one. Obviously, we know the deal with both of these guys. They are very similar players. I think that Kittle is a little bit younger and has the opportunity maybe to just continue his rise to what I think is the best tight end in the NFL. Kelsey's great, too, though. I mean, to me, it's splitting hairs between these two. 
Yeah, so the big thing for me with Kelsey, and Kelsey I do have number one, is the targets. He just gets way more targets, and yeah. his targets are coming from Pat Mahomes, not, not right, that not other Jim guy. Garoppolo. So I have Kelsey at number one. He's been the number one tight end four years in a row. I don't see a reason why that should change. That offense is the same. They're bringing back the same cast of wide receivers. Maybe more passes to Edwards Hilaire. That's you know kind of one of the reasons they liked him more than others. But I think uh, Kelsey will, will be number one again. 97 catches, 1,200 yards, five touchdowns. That, that's like drafting a, a good wide receiver yeah. at that spot. Absolutely. Let's talk a little UFC, Kev. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so we're watching some UFC right now. We have some. Some things to talk about with this. Uh, what do you think of the main event? Um, Dan Ige versus uh, Qatar. Do you have a, a lean either way here? I think Ige is going to try to grind out a victory that goes the distance. And uh, Calvin Cater, is, is, I think he's a guy that may try to knock him out. You know, and the, yeah. He's a great counterpuncher, great striker. Um, you watch more film on these guys than I did. But I've watched plenty of Ige fights. Yeah, and the all way the, he, he fights all the he, time for some he, reason. He presses forward constantly. He's going to pressure, 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 pressure. Um, should be a really fun fight. Yeah, I, I, so my official stance is I, I think uh, Cater gets the knockout, whether it's a TKO or a flush knockout. I feel like Ige coming forward all the time is exactly what Cater wants. So he's going to come forward. Um, Joe Rogan said something that I actually wrote down uh, in one of his previous fights. Ige has patient pressure. He's always coming forward. He's not out of control, but he's always coming forward. And Cater, I think, has the most punching power at this weight class. And I think that that'll get the better, especially in a five-round fight. He has all those opportunities. Any other fights here you, you see? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the. Uh, there's a lot of when, there's a lot of decent fights on this card here. Yeah, when when looking for the the matchups in this that I thought you could yeah. make a little money on, I think that Michaelitis I think is a plus one ten. I have a little action on him in this fight, and um, you know Tim Elliott. I, I kind of like Tim Elliott here. I think he's a mild favorite. Um, that's another guy that I think is going to come out on top here. Yeah, see, I like Benoit in that fight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of like what Tim Elliott does. So I don't like his hair. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad hair choice. Yeah. Um, the Jimmy Rivera-Cody uh, Stamen fight is very interesting to me. I think they're both very solid. Nobody jumps off the page to you. Um, but Rivera's last two fights, last his last two fights he lost, but they were to Ajaman Sterling and Peter Yan. They're yeah. probably going to fight for the title next, so what are you yeah. going to do? Um the other one to watch is Abdul Razak Al-Ahman. His punching power is nuts. Yeah, that's going to be fun just to watch him fight. He's a, he's a prospect, essentially, yes. at this point, and uh, expect to see explosivity in he that fight. He punches hard, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see that. And then we have another card on Saturday night, um, USC Fight Night 43. The main event is going to be Joe Benavitez versus uh, Devison Figueredo. Yeah. Which it took me a little bit to say that right, but I got it. Yeah. So we're good there. Um, they actually, this is actually a rematch. They had a fight before. Um, Benavidez got a really bad cut from like a clash of heads. And then, uh, you know, he was kind of disoriented from that. And Figueredo took advantage with a very strong uh, straight right that knocked him out. Uh, so the one thing that I noticed as well watching that fight over again is Figueredo. Seemed gas at the end of that first round. Benavidez is known for pushing that pace, and it seemed to really take its toll on Figueredo. But 
he was able to get that second round um, KO. And anything there? You know, I think that's going to be a fun fight to watch. I think Benavidez is certainly going to do all he can to try to avenge that when you have a, a clash of heads. Kind of, and it, it, it's it's completely. It like, was a lot of blood. It wasn't yeah. like a little cut. He was spurting blood it, out of his forehead. It, it disorients you and it sends the fight in another direction. So honestly, I haven't researched the card a lot here, but I do remember that fight in yeah. general, and I think it could be completely different this time around. And Benavidez is going to have an opportunity to stick around in that fight longer. Especially in a five-round fight. I think this is one where maybe Benavidez just outlasts him. Because yeah. the pace he pushes, I mean, if you guys seen him fight, you know he pushes a pace. A uh, couple other good fights. Kelvin Gastelum versus uh, Jack Hermanson on the card. Um, so, full disclosure, I love Kelvin Gastelum. I, I just love watching him fight. He has... He's 4-3 and three in his last seven, but his three losses, Darren Till, Israel Adesanya, and Chris Weidman. Uh, but he's been off for a while uh, since November. But Hermanson's also been off since September where he got knocked out by Jared Cannonier. No real yeah. <laughs> real love, you know, disappointment there. Right. So I think that's a good fight. I'm, I'm again, I'm it's abstaining from picking that fight because I'm a big Kelvin Gastelum fan. Yeah. A, little, a little biased. Uh, Mark Diacasi is fighting. Uh, Rafael Fiazzo, um, I love Diaxi. He's very good. Um, he's only one and one in the UFC, uh, but he's very good at pushing the pace again. He's 12 and three. He's going to get to a lot of takedowns, a lot of uh, craziness uh, with his strikes too. Very unpredictable there. And the big thing for me is, guys, I, I want you to. I don't. I don't know what else Tom has on this uh, on this particular card, but. Uh, you know, expect me to uh, be sending out tweets as we get closer to this fight yeah. Uh, so that I can give you my, my picks. Um, this is a scenario where I'm not going to give them to you on the podcast tonight. I'm going to send them out on Twitter. I expect I can have them out on Friday, um, letting you guys know what direction I like, you know, who I think is going to come out on top, uh, and where the value is is what, you know, my favorite thing to look for when I'm yeah. betting fights. So I really like um, Alexandra Pantoja. Versus Askar Askarov. Pantoja is very good. He's fought a lot of very good fighters. He's 21 and 4. Um, Askarov's a guy I'm really not familiar with, 7 0 1, uh, but I, he's coming up. And, you yeah. know, and that's a really tough uh, jump. Grant Dawson's fighting on this card. He is on a six fight win streak, 15 and 1 with 11 wins by sub uh, submission there. Big fan of that. And then I think the Brent Johns. Montel Jackson's probably I wrote down fight of the night next yeah, to this one. Expect explosive, uh, you know, battling back and forth. Yeah. you know, should be a lot of fun to watch that fight. I mean that that fight, you know, if you're on the right side of it, great. But it's going to be so much fun to watch. You it, don't you even know. need to bet on that fight. No, just to, it just is sit back be, and enjoy it. It is going to be a lot of fun. Both of them are going after it. So, is that it for tonight? Tom? That's going to be it for tonight. Yeah, next week we come back with. Um, which which preview did we have next week? Tom? So next week's gonna be fun. We're gonna preview the Big Ten, Big which Ten, is always a blast, yeah. and we're gonna go over a top twenty fantasy wide receivers. Um, I expect there to be a lot more disagreement in the wide receivers as tight ends. Obviously, the bottom five tight ends we had a little different, but the top of the tight ends is baseball much, next week too. Tom, yes, we will be talking baseball. Baseball is uh, back. We're gonna kind of give our new shortened season predictions for how we expect this to kind of play out. Um, also, the 3M Open and, of course, more UFC. Don't be surprised. Next Saturday's card is really good. 
I can't wait. A lot of big guys. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. So excited for us to be on all these new platforms. Thank you to our folks at Lion Global for all the work that they've done with us, helping us get everything uh, straightened out here. So um, thank you again for listening. Hit us up on Twitter at hammered underscore sports hammered sports podcast on facebook hammered sports podcast on instagram hammered sports so thanks again everybody and we'll talk to you next week see ya